Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Sherelle McMillan, North Carolina 83, Notre Dame 66 in the Smith Center. The cap of a three-game, three-win, and five-day run for North Carolina, Sherelle. Uh, if folks question the Tar Heels stamina, the Tar Heels conditioning, the Tar Heels mental state, they certainly stepped up at the end of that ball game, shut down any chance for Notre Dame having an upset to complete this 3-0 run. Yeah, after, uh, I forget, I think it was Mooney, the guy who was six for six from the three-point line, uh, after he missed those three free throws, it's like something came over the team and said, you know, if they can just get through these last six or seven minutes, they'll have a few days off, they'll be able to rest, they'll be able to get, you know, back in the groove of just going to class and relaxing and having practice instead of just game, 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 you know, kind of like that. So um, they definitely closed out. It was something we've talked about with North Carolina the last, really, I guess the last year. There haven't been many occasions where they've had a chance to close a game out and they haven't. And they ended the game on the 20, I think it was 22 to six run uh, to put Notre Dame away. It wasn't pretty by any stretch of the imagination throughout the game. Um, there was some bad defensive play. They, they were There were times when they reverted back to just leaving shooters wide open. But then there were other times when they really got out on the shooters, and that's why uh, the two best players from Notre Dame basically really didn't do anything. Uh, Gibbs and Farrell were a combined four of 27 from the field. Now, granted, Gibbon and uh, Mooney you know, made up for that, but when you can limit the two best players on the court for the other team, you know, usually you get a win, which is what happened for North Carolina. Yeah, I think a big play in the first half was Gibbon's second foul there early in the first half, and that sort of slowed Notre Dame around uh, down a little bit. In the second half, you talked about Mooney's free throws. It was at the 649 mark. He had three free throws to cut the lead, uh, would have cut the lead to 63-62. Famous score for North Carolina basketball fans. (laughs) But from that point, Carolina went on a 20-7 run. Everybody contributed, but I thought Theo Pinson really stepped up then. Yeah, and this has been a theme now. We for a while we talked about how Theo Pinson doesn't score, but now he's had a couple of games where he's been, I think three of the last four, maybe he's been in double figures. He had uh 22 against NT state. I uh, can't remember exactly what he did against Pittsburgh. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I think he had 11 against NT state on Saturday and then 16 tonight. And, you know, he, he's running out of games, but he's really getting close to that triple double. He finished, and this is an unofficial box score we're looking at because we record these right after the game. So there's not an official box score. But in the unofficial box score, he had 16 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists. And uh, UNC sends out stats after every game, and they're now uh, UNC is now 13 and one when Theo Pinson has five or more assists in a game this season. So that just tells you how important he is to the team, doing a lot of stuff, driving to the basket and finding open shooters, and he really just gives them a dynamic playmaker and allows Barry and Johnson and Williams and May to spot up and shoot. So I think that's really uh North Carolina's really found something with that and honestly it, they kind of found it by accident because if Seventh Woods wasn't hurt and Jalik Felton um, wasn't suspended from the university I don't know if Theo Pinson would have gotten the chance to play much point guard but it's something that UNC is using a ton now yeah and he finishes around the rim as good as anybody and and folks forget he's a lot bigger than he looks and he certainly can get up and he makes those acrobatic layups and those finishes 
specifically the and ones over the top of the opposing team's big. I mean, it just gives Carolina a lift. Let's look at uh, Joel Berry. I think they showed how many minutes he had played during the game. Don't know specifically how many he played tonight, but what a run for Barry in these three games. I mean, he can't look forward to the rest enough, I don't think. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing that's been really good for Joel, despite playing all the minutes, uh, really since the second half of the Clemson game, so I guess you call it four and a half games, he is finishing much more efficiently around the basket than he was before. I, I don't know what changed or if anything changed at all, but he's just doing it better now. He was eight for eight for 15 today. I think he was seven for 20 against Duke maybe, or seven for 20 against NC state. One of those games, they're all starting to run together, but uh, you just see it uh, against NC state. Uh, once he got to the cup, he finished. And that's really big for Carolina because not only um, he only got to the free throw line three times, but not only does it help when he gets to, when Theo Pinson gets to the basket, but it helps when Barry gets to the basket because that helps, you know, just continue to open everything else up. So I, I'm, I think Roy Williams is very pleased with how Joel Berry is playing. He's very playing very calm. Um, since that conversation, I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago, Roy Williams set him down and said, "Don't be so hard on yourself." Basically, he's played really, really well. Let's talk about the defense. You referenced it earlier, Matt Farrell and Gibbs for Notre Dame. Without Bonzi Colson, those guys really have to do it. And Carolina locked them up. Now Farrell didn't shoot it well. But still, he had guys chasing him. He had guys in his face more so than we've seen. Maybe Carolina sacrificed a little bit elsewhere, but Farrell and Gibbs, if they don't play well, Notre Dame has no shot, and it ended that way tonight. Yeah, and it got to the point where you felt like Farrell was just kind of doing some Trey Young, you know, heat check type stuff because he was shooting some really horrendous shots, and Jay Billis was on the call for ESPN you know, called it out a few times because he really almost shot them out of the game. Uh, when you have Mooney, who was six for six at the time, and you have Gavin, who was, I believe, six or six of seven at the time, then you need to get them the ball. You're you're one of 10, I think it was at that point, and two of 16 from the field at that point. You, you shouldn't be taking all those shots. So he really played into North Carolina's advantage by taking some of those rush shots, and that helped fuel the run uh, that ended the game. And if you look at the numbers, Again, North Carolina did give up 10 threes, but it was on 27 attempts. So not great, not terrible. They only allowed 37% overall from the field, which is really good. Um, one thing I think was they got a little bit lucky with is that Notre Dame only shot 52% from the free throw line. They're a very good free uh, shooting team from the free throw line. So 52% is, is very abnormal for them. And it could have been, you know, they're playing their second game in three days. So it could have been something to do with that. Um, but uh, I think Roy Williams will take it, North Carolina will take it, and now they have a few days off to get their legs back and get ready for Louisville. Let's talk about these few days off. I mean, you play, and like you said earlier, you play, you have a day, you play, you have a day, you play, and now Carolina gets Tuesday through Friday to take a break, sort of, before they travel. I assume they'll travel to Louisville on Friday. But another big ball game as a player, um, your thoughts on what they'll do over these next few days. I assume they'll have a day or two off, at least a day off. Um, but to get back into the well-rested uh, thing, but do you think given the role that they're on, having a four-day break is the best thing for this team? Yeah, I do, because I, I think you can start to see it a little bit in the second half. There, there was very much a, if we can just get through these last 10 or 15 minutes, then you know we can rest a little bit. I, you saw some of that on some of the faces of some of the players, like they were just kind of gut through it. 
this was, uh, I have a saying that I always use with my friends. I say, what is greater than how? And I think this game was a perfect example of it because no one's really going to remember this, maybe outside of Cam Johnson's dunk and uh, the guy for Notre Dame going off. Uh, nobody's really going to remember this game other than North Carolina won. And that is a game where what you know what you did, how you did it, matters more than how it was accomplished. And that is the theme for North Carolina in this game. They can take a break now. I think they have a mandatory a NCAA mandatory day off, I believe, tomorrow. Either tomorrow or Wednesday. They'll <clears throat> get into the gym. I'm sure they'll get up shots, do all the soft tissue stuff that they talked about during the broadcast, get into the, the cold pool, um, and just rest a little bit. And then they'll get back on the practice court, I would imagine, with a full practice maybe Thursday um, or when they get to Louisville on Friday, one of those two. Um, but it just just having a couple of days just to take a breath after the emotional high of the Duke game at home, after going on the road in probably the toughest environment they'll play in this season, and that includes the game that ends the regular season. I think it's the environment they played in Saturday is tougher. And then um, a team who was wounded and who really, really needed a big-time resume win um, at home. So they got through that and now really mentally might be more important than physically just to get back, rest, and reset for, you know, this final four or five game stretch to end the regular season. Looking at the ACC standings, I mean, Virginia, unless they totally meltdowns, locked up the number one seed. But from there, Sherelle, you've got uh, Clemson at nine and three. You go all the way down to NC State at six and six. Of course, Carolina now at nine and five. Anything could happen. The importance of the double buy is huge for in the ACC tournament these days. Um, but your thoughts on how this all plays out? I mean, I, I'm not sure we've seen. I'm surprised Virginia's as far out as they are. Um, but I'm not sure we've seen in a while, at least that I haven't really paid attention to, honestly, where you've got this amount of teams so bunched up in the middle of the ACC, teams looking to make the NCAA tournament, teams trying to, you know, get these wins. Louisville's in a position on Saturday. Uh, they're currently 8-5. and five. They'll have a game before that one. But Louisville's not a given. Um, ACC is just all out crazy this year. Yeah, it, I think one thing to remember is uh, funny. On this podcast, not about two weeks ago, North Carolina was sitting at five and five in the ACC, and we kind of said, "Man, did, are there four more wins on the schedule? Can they get to nine wins to make the ACC tournament?" And here we are, you know, four games later, and they've got the nine wins already. So that one's clear. You know, they, they've passed that barrier. I think the next thing that needs to happen for them is that they need either Clemson or Duke to falter down the stretch. Not necessarily for the double bye, which is important, but not as important as NCAA seeding. Clemson and Duke kind of have the advantage over UNC as far as regional, um, you know, with the pod system, as far as the higher seed getting to play closer to home. So there's a Charlotte regional um, that we talked about at nauseum on the podcast. There's Nashville, um, then there's Detroit, there's Pittsburgh, and then uh, Dallas, I think, is the closest one after that. So when you start to pair teams based upon how well they're playing in the region and start to look at that stuff, North Carolina could end up in you know somewhere out west like Wichita or Dallas if they aren't able to pass Clemson or Duke um, for one of these closer regionals, maybe Nashville or Charlotte. Uh, and Clemson has at Florida State on Wednesday, then they have Duke on Sunday, then they have at Virginia Tech next week, and then they finish off with home versus Georgia Tech, home against Florida State and at Syracuse. So I think for North Carolina to feel comfortable about being ahead of Clemson in the seed line, 
Um, they probably need Clemson to lose three games. And I don't know if that'll happen. Um, you you got to think, you know, at Florida State's pretty tough. Don't know if they can go into Cameron and win. And then at Virginia Tech is pretty tough too. Um, so that's what they have to hope for. Um, as far as Duke is concerned, Duke doesn't have quite as tough of a schedule as Clemson. Um, if you look at it, they have left. They have Virginia Tech on Wednesday. Um, we talked about they play Clemson. They have Louisville at home, Syracuse at home. They're at Virginia Tech, and then they're home against Carolina. So they need a couple of losses as well. Um, that's really, I think, what moving forward North Carolina has to look at, not just double by because it is important, but how these teams finish impacts NCAA seeding as well. Yeah, and Carolina's schedule, um, Miami's the only remaining home game at Louisville, at Syracuse, and at Duke. And you're right, two weeks ago, uh, I didn't see a win on that schedule, maybe Miami at home, but now they're all definitely winnable. Um, your take on how this, how Carolina's schedule is, is it tough to you? I mean, is it sort of, it feels like, I think Dewey said it maybe a glitch in the schedule, the way it's worked out, but they've got one four games left. Miami's the only one at home. Not an easy stretch, but after this three-game stretch, Carolina's looking pretty good to, run the table or maybe go three and one at worst two and two there. Oh yeah. Not an easy stretch. And let's, you know, like we were telling people after Virginia tech and after their Clemson losses, don't go crazy, but just <laughs> as easily as North Carolina won these last four games, they could lose the next four just that easy um, because their, their margin for error is, is thin as Dewey and Greg and everybody else have talked about on the podcast throughout the year. Um, they just don't have the overwhelming talent where they can, withstand terrible nights from you know two or three people they have to all be playing well or they have to all be fully engaged all be um, emotional all be into it so you look at at louisville like you said ex syracuse versus miami and at duke louisville is a matchup problem just because of uh how many athletes they have and how long those guys are compared to north carolina so they're going to be uh, out-athleted again, it's not a phrase, <laughs> but out-athleted again like they were against Duke, against Louisville. Um, you kind of hope that they play with the same passion on the road in, an, in a hostile environment. At Syracuse, we know what the deal is there. It's the zone. Um, can they be patient enough and hit enough shots to you know, win up there despite the zone? Miami is going to be ball screens. It's going to be defense. Uh, the key is going to be defensive ball screens. Like Miami is going to put Carolina through seven or eight ball screens per possession. And they're going to run to the rim and then they're going to kick out. So can North Carolina stop the ball um, at home on Joel Berry and Theo Pinson senior night and limit uh, the three-point shooters from Miami? And then Duke, we've talked about it, same thing. Uh, They've beaten them once, but uh, the second time, Duke is going to play a little harder, I think. They're going to be at home. And it's going to be the athletic advantage that Duke has against North Carolina speed and North Carolina shooting. So each of the matchups is intriguing for its own reason. But I think North Carolina playing like it is has a chance to win all four. But again, has a chance to lose all four. It's just a matter of how they come out and play and how energized they are. Sherelle, the realist. Uh, <laughs> let's, uh, and you're right. I mean, Carolina has looked great, looked awful, certainly on a positive roll now. Sherelle, with the team off for four or five days until Louisville on Saturday, what's the coaching staff up to? I know a big-time target was in the Smith Center tonight. Right. Uh, E.J. Montgomery, uh, North Carolina's only offered player left in the class of 2018, was in the Smith Center tonight. Um, it's his first visit to campus as a recruit. We'll see how it goes. We'll be checking up with him. Uh, he has a visit to Duke on Wednesday night when they play Virginia Tech. And then they'll head, him and his family will head back to uh, Georgia. They're from the Atlanta metro area. So we'll check in with him. Um, obviously, 
adding a player of his caliber, top 10 uh, consensus would be phenomenal for UNC, but they do have tough, tough competition. Uh, Kansas is in there. Kentucky is in there. Duke is in there. Um, so, you know, we just have to see how that works and see how his visit was to UNC tonight. Uh, I think you might see Roy Williams on the road, maybe Wednesday and Thursday. Um, and then uh, after the uh, Syracuse game next Tuesday, they have six days off. And that's definitely when he'll hit the road big time to see a lot of uh, 2019 targets and maybe even a couple of 2020 targets. Um, and I think one thing that should be noted about Roy Williams is that despite, you know, all, the way the schedule has worked out, they've been on the road a lot. They haven't had many days off in between, but he made all three uh, senior nights for all three of his signees. So he was at senior night for Nasir Little, at senior night for Kobe White, and at senior night for Rayshon Black, which was only, you know, less than 24 hours after they had beaten Duke in Chapel Hill. So that speaks to, you know, how he views his signees and how he recruits. Good stuff there. Coach Williams definitely pays attention to the details uh, when he's recruiting. And after he's signed these guys, he pays dividends down the road. EJ Montgomery's recruitment sounds familiar. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. We <laughs> shall see. Um, but Sherelle, I'm sure we'll talk about it a plenty. Appreciate your time tonight. Carolina 83-66 over Notre Dame to go to 9-5 and five, five in conference and get to that 20-win mark. I think Roy Williams has done it every year but one at North Carolina. Sherelle, thanks. Yep, appreciate it, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.